2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds uh, let me back up. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, now is... We worship you in the study of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have this amazing word to turn to. Thank you that it's so much more than we, what we ever have need of in any given t- a moment, Lord, in our lives. We thank you that it will outlive the heavens and the earth, and we thank you that it's the solid foundation upon which you build Christian maturity. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to grow into maturity as your people, as your disciples, We pray that you would use this passage and this chapter. We pray, Lord, that you'd use it to make us more like Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would set this time aside for your holy use, because it is holy. This time is holy. We recognize that. Help us, Lord, to learn everything you want us to learn. Encourage us in everything you want to encourage us in, Lord, and, and, and to exhort us and to convict us. And help us to have pliable hearts, Lord, where you can speak anything to us. Help us all to be teachable here. And I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to obey what you tell us, Lord, by your grace and by your power. We thank you for the privilege of being able to study this word together, and it's not illegal in this, in this land yet, at least. And we thank you for that privilege. We thank you, Lord, and we think about all the believers around the world that are meeting in secret today. And we don't have to meet in secret, so we're thankful to you for that. We pray for all the churches in this area. And we pray, Lord, that they would be blessed and they would be strengthened. And we, we thank you, Lord, for your people, as diverse as they are. We thank you for them, Lord, and that's a beautiful re- reflection of you and how they are so diverse. We thank you for that. We appreciate your whole body. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's always exciting to start a new book, to be able to just dive in and to learn all the things that he wants to teach us as we study collectively this great word of God. And in this book, you know, Paul is still on his uh, second missionary journey. 
He, he's writing most likely from Corinth, uh, and it's approximately six, to, six months to a year subsequent to his writing of 1 Thessalonians, his first letter that we just went through verse by verse. And so it is likely that Paul had delivered, had this, this, the first epistle of Thessalonians uh, uh, delivered to them and then received a report back or a missionary had come through Corinth and someone came and reported back to him how the church was doing even subsequent to his first letter. So in other words, their response. Because he does make mention of how they're doing even since the time that, uh, or you can tell that it's, he's making mention of, of how they're doing since the time that they received his last letter. And so uh, he's wanting to encourage this, this, this new church. Now, Paul's going to accomplish three main things in this book, and each chapter in this short book, it's only three chapters, uh, he's going to accomplish something separate in each book. And so he's aiming at different things, and it's all in, related to encouragement and direction and helping them grow in their faith. Uh, but it's kind of divided up like this. Chapter 1 is pure encouragement to them, similar to how he was giving them pure encouragement in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. But in chapter 2 here, he deals with the misconception that they have regarding the rapture and, and uh, the timing of all those things, and, and there was some false teaching that was coming their way that he was having to, to address. And then chapter 3, he deals with a very practical issue, and that's because they were so engaged in looking for Jesus. They were so focused on his coming and the end times. And remember, the end, at the end of every chapter in First Thessalonians, as we saw, he said something about the return of Christ in every single chapter. So he's teaching them from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul is, the importance of looking for Jesus and, and watching and waiting and have being, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, expectation of his imminent return. And because of that, uh, they kind of went in an unhealthy direction, some of them, regarding some practical issues, specifically about not working because he's going to come back any moment and, and so we just won't work. And so he deals with kind of some people that were leeching off other people. And he, so he deals with a very practical matter in chapter 3. But we're looking at chapter 1 t- this morning. And again, it's pure encouragement. Just lifting their heads, encouraging them, giving them God's perspective in everything. They are still experiencing tremendous persecution. Now, Paul was kicked out after three weeks, as you remember, when he first went to uh, Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, whichever, uh, depending on what version you have. And, and so he, he got kicked out because of persecution. These unbelieving Jews came, and they stirred up trouble, and he had to leave quickly. And so just from the very beginning, their whole Christian experience has really uh, been uh, kind of in the context of persecution. They first saw it in Paul's life and the team's lives and so forth. And, uh, and then now they're starting to see it. And in fact, he, as you remember, starts to speak to them and, and encourage them even in the last book regarding, uh, you know, giving them a, pers- a good perspective regarding how to handle persecution. And, and, but now he adds in this book, he, he's going to add tribulation to it. Before it was persecution. Now it's not just the narrow scope of persecution, but it's also tribulation. And so Paul knew that they, they needed to see God's purpose through all of it. You know, this life, as you know, is a very hard life. Even apart from, I mean, when you don't know Christ, you're not dealing with fighting the enemy. 
You're not dealing with trying to resist sin and temptation. And, and you're not influenced, I mean, you're not trying to fight against the ways of this world and the lust of the flesh and all that. You're just, go, but it's even in that context, life is difficult. We live in a fallen world. And people have uh, free will to choose bad things. And sometimes we're on the receiving end of those things. And, and they're, ta- they're on the receiving end of, of persecution. But it's even beyond that, they, there's other things that we have to deal with. Now, as Christians, it's a whole other thing. And we still have to deal with all those same things that, you know, just the struggle of life, the general struggle of just living in this world with the fall and, and, and all of that. But now we're, we're trying to uh, obey the Lord in resisting sin and resisting temptation. And then we have spiritual warfare that we are fighting against. We still had warfare before we were Christians, just that it was working to, for us to not believe Christ. We didn't sense it. Now we sense it. So when you're a new Christian, sometimes it feels like you know, you're going downstream before you come to know the Lord, and then you make this U-turn in the road of life, and you didn't realize, you know when you're going downstream, and you're, I, went, I went kayaking once, that was a disaster, <laughs> almost drowned. Uh, I had my flotation device on, and I said, no, that's your weight, that you need to have a, you know, a real life preserver. I'm like, oh, okay. You know. uh, so you're, you're, you know, you're going downstream, you don't realize the current when you're going downstream. You, don't, you, don't, you know you're going somewhere. But you don't really uh, fully appreciate the current until you start trying to go upstream. And then you really sense, wow, I didn't know this, this current was as strong as it is. And that's what it's like when you first come to know Christ. You make that U-turn the road of life, and now you're feeling the current of the enemy, spiritual warfare. Now you're sensing the current of temptation. Now you're sensing the current of the world's way of dealing with things and, and how they see you and persecution and, and, and just ungodly philosophies and things. And, and that's why God has set up the way he set things up regarding being among God's people. Because being among God's people is designed to be a refuge. And it's designed to be a place that we get strength and we get uh, spiritual uh, vitality and just being filled up after we're, we're you know, trying to live a godly life in this world. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves if we don't sen- or we aren't sensing that need to get refilled and strengthened, you know, what are we doing out in the world and how are we living out in the world? Are we going with the flow or are we trying to make a stand for Christ? And so we face a very, very difficult life. And what God's trying to head off in these Thessalonians' lives, this, these new believers, remember, they've only known the Lord for now, I would say, you know, six months to a year somewhere. They're still very young believers. What God's trying to head off in their lives is to have a wrong view of God in the, in the context of all of that. To think that God makes bad judgments or he doesn't care. And, and that's not the case at all. And so Paul wants to deal with that. And it's important for us to see as well for our lives. Because now we can really broaden this application out because we're not necessarily facing intense persecution right now. Maybe we are. But for sure, well, many of us are dealing with tribulation. And so God wants us to have his perspective in all that. And I'm so thankful for his word because he makes it so crystal clear regarding seeing things through the lens of his revelation and what he's revealed regarding his real purpose for it. So they're dealing with incredible adversity and difficulty and tribulation. And so he begins right there in verse 1. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's noteworthy that Paul doesn't say the the Apostle Paul. He doesn't begin with 
referring to his office as an apostle. He's very close to these believers, very close. And oftentimes in his highly corrective epistles, and he is going to correct some things, but when his highly corrective epistles, most often he starts the apostle Paul, and he's reminding them of his office, that he's speaking for God and so forth. He doesn't do that here. He has a little bit more intimacy with them, and he says Paul, which is his Roman name, and he says Silvanus and Timothy. And this is the team that originally came to Thessalonica, if you remember. Uh, Silas was with them from the, after he parted ways from Barnabas there, and he ended up in prison in, in Philippi. They were released, and then they, they, they made their way to uh, Thessalonica. And shortly after that, Timothy joined them. And, and so this is the team that they are very familiar with. And as you remember, Timothy was dispatched by Paul uh, from Ephesus to go back to Thessalonica to help them because he, he couldn't get there himself, but he did the next best thing and sent uh, young Timothy to them. So they're very familiar with, uh, with them. Timothy was from Lystra, if you remember, from the province of Galatia. Uh, his, he had a Greek father and a, and a Jewish mother named Eunice and a grandmother named Lois who were Jewish and taught, them, taught him the scriptures. He was a very, very uh, uh, needed and important man in Paul's ministry. And so he says, we're, we're all writing in unity. I mean, obviously they know it's from Paul, but he's saying, this is the team, we're all for you here, to the church of the Thessalonians. And as we've mentioned before, the word church means it's ecclesia, it's the called out ones. It's not a building. No, the church isn't the building. The church is the body of Christ. And so the church gathers. Buildings don't gather unless they're falling down. They're gathering in a heap. (laughs) But uh, the church gathers. And he says to you, the, the ones that are called out of the Thessalonians, and then notice he says, in God. That's speaking to our positional standing with God. Before I come to know Christ, I'm in Adam. I am positionally in under the, 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 the effects of Adam's sin and, and how we inherit our sinful nature all the way down through our, our lineage down to, to, our, to our lives. And so now when we come to Christ, now we're not in, in, in Adam anymore. We're in God. We're in Christ. And so he wants to remind them of their positional standing. And that positional standing isn't based on their works to get saved or anything else. It's based on Christ's righteousness put to their account. So it gives some stability and it gives some security and that's what they need in this time. They need to know there's nothing that's going to get in the way of their relationship with uh, God and even this persecution and hardship that they're dealing with. He says, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and those are equal in nature there. And, and the Greek construction plays that out. So Paul is saying that you're, you're, you're in God, our Father, and you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, this is, this is your security here. He says in verse 2, he, he, he greets them. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. A common greeting. We've went over this many times, uh, that that was a very common greeting in the, in the Gentile world, to say charis to someone when you, when you come in contact with them. That's grace. You know, may you receive a day better than you deserve. You know, say that to someone out there in the world. Say, hey, may you have a day better than you deserve and see what kind of response you get. You might get some interesting looks. But the, but the Jewish greeting was shalom. And so he combines these two together, grace to you and peace. And as I always mention, because it's important, and the Holy Spirit mentions it over and over, so we need to deal with it. But grace always comes before peace. 
We can't experience the peace of God until we first experience the grace of God. All all the people in this world that are groping after God and seeking after God, they're trying to get peace, the peace of God, but they can't because they have to come God's way and receive first the grace of God. And once they do that, then they'll have the peace of God. And it's it's from him, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's bound to thank God for them in verse four and three, rather. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So he's describing this, this faith that they have, and he's saying we are bound. Notice the word bound there. We are bound to, to thank God for you. Now notice he doesn't thank them. That's noteworthy. He thanks God because he knows that God's responsible for all that's good in their lives. He doesn't thank them. He thanks God. And that's encouraging to them because in difficulty, you need to know that God's the one that is willing and, and, and uh, you know, causing us to, to, to desire him and to work in our lives. And it's the one that he's working. Uh, he's the one that's working in our lives because when we're going through difficulty, it, we don't really feel like uh, we could even focus on our walk with him sometimes. But, but God says, no, I, I'm the one responsible. I'm the one, I began your faith. I'm going to finish your faith. What I began in you, I'm going to finish. It's very encouraging for us. And he says, we are bound. In other words, it would be so inappropriate, it would be so wrong for, me, for us to not thank God. And he, notice he says, as it is fitting, it's appropriate. It's appropriate that we thank God for you because of what God has done in you through believing and through trusting. And notice he says that the reason there in the middle of verse 3, he says, because your faith grows exceedingly. Wow. New Christians, brand new believers pretty much, growing exceedingly. And you know what's interesting is that word growing exceedingly is a very, very particular word in the Greek language. And it means actually an abnormal growth. You ever seen anything with abnormal growth? Sometimes you might see a, a teenager, you know, and they grow like, I mean, a foot a week it seems like. Some of the youth around here, I keep saying, did you grow an inch since last Sunday? And they're just, it's amazing. Or, or weeds. Oh, man. Weeds abnormal growth. I'm dealing with that where I'm at right now in the house that I'm in. There's weeds everywhere, and I spray them every week, and they're still just, it's hard for me to keep up with them, but this is so much more pronounced and profound than that kind of growth. This is a spiritual growth, and think about the context that they're in. They don't have any long-established, seasoned leaders. They don't have the Bible, this, this church in, in Thessalonica here, they, and they're still, that tells us how powerful the Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer. Even without so many things that we get to enjoy, how many Bibles do we have in our house? You know, how many opportunities do we have to hear the word through radio or through the internet or, or, or to, to go to Bible studies and so forth? And they are just growing exponentially. This is a very young church. And then you add on top of that, that they're experiencing extreme difficulty and persecution and tribulation. And you add to that, and you just, you just, of course Paul is bound to thank God for them. And, and he says, your faith is growing exceedingly. He gives the specifics, and the love of every one of you, notice the word, all. 
the love of every one of you all. They were in total unity regarding this. They're of the same mind. The Lord Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we would all be one. We'd be in total unity. That's his prayer, that we'd be of the same mind, of the same heart, and that we would love one another. He said it over and over again. We are to actively, proactively, aggressively love one another. But sometimes you think that wouldn't be possible in this kind of difficulty because they'd be so distracted. But because of their faith and how they're growing exceedingly, kind of abnormally in a sense, you know, you, they're, they are able to do that. And that's one of the things that God calls us to when we're going through incredible difficulty is to get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes onto him and get our eyes onto others. In so many ways, in, in so many ways, the way that God sustains us through a, through a difficulty is by serving others. It doesn't make any sense in the natural when we think about it. Why would God get my focus on others? And I don't, don't have anything to give, we think sometimes. But the, the, the means by which we are giving and serving doesn't come from us in the first place. Even in good times, it's not supposed to come from us. It comes from him. He's the one, as we abide in him, he's the one that bears fruit through our lives. I love that he, he describes it as fruit. Because, because fruit doesn't have to strain to come forth from a tree. It just naturally comes forth because of what it's tapped into and, the, and what it is and what the root system that's, um, that's in, in play at the, at the time. So the, Paul is saying your faith is growing exceedingly. We're thanking God for every one of you. And, and it looks like this. It looks like you guys loving one another. He's received a report back. He's being told exactly what they're engaged in. And there's not one of them that's left out. That's why he says the word all. And, and, and so it just blesses God's heart. Now, when we go through difficulty and when we go through hardship, when we're around other people, you know, other believers, or anybody for that matter, sometimes in our flesh, we have a hypersensitivity to their shortcomings, and, and their flaws and so forth because we're going through some, so, such a difficult time that our flesh can just get irritated about every little thing. You ever been in that category? Okay, me neither. I was just curious, you know, just hypothetically. You know, that's, that's, another, that's another church down, down the road. But it's so easy to get embittered towards other people and, and to have them get on your nerves and, and, and have bitterness and unforgiveness and anger come forth, not just from... Uh, not just towards God because you're questioning things and all of that, which is, which is a struggle in and of itself for us at times, but towards others. And so you can't disconnect the difficulty that they're experiencing and their profound love, every one of them, not some of them left out, every one of them, in loving, proactively loving one another. You ever met someone where they're going through a tremendous difficult time and they are thinking about others and you just, you look at them and you just go, how are you doing this? How, are you, how do you have your focus on other people right now? If I were you, in your sho- if I were in your shoes right now, I'd be falling apart, I'd be self-focused, I wouldn't be thinking about anybody. And the answer is that God hasn't given us the grace that he's given them at the moment. And whatever we're going through, whatever difficulty we're experiencing, he gives us unique grace for that situation. And it requires uh, us to just you know, be, uh, you know, the recipient of that grace and yielding our lives over to him. And so he says, you're doing that and we're thanking God for you. And he continues in verse four, he says, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God 
for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now, he makes it emphatic here, and in the Greek it's really clear, because he says, we ourselves, that's the word, the English word they have to use to, to emphasize how emphatic this is being. He's, he's really, really uh, focusing on their proper response, and, and it really carries the idea of how unusual it is. It's so unusual how they're responding to this that he's saying, you know, in other words, we ourselves can see it, even if we're at a distance. We can see it. We're affected by it. And, it, and it's, it's, it's absolutely so amazing that we're boasting of you to the other churches. You may remember in our last, the last book, he said something a little bit different. Do you remember? He said, he said, your faith is being spoken of among everyone so that we don't have to say anything. Say their faith and their, the fruit that was coming forth from their lives was so pervasive that it would be a waste of time if they went to the other churches and said, look what the, the Thessalonians are doing in Christ. But here, Paul says, we, are, we, we boast about this. We boast of you because it's getting so far beyond what we, what we can't ignore it anymore. We have to speak of how great your faith is and we boast of you among all the churches. And what does he boast of? Look at the rest of verse 4. He says, for your patience and faith. Very important. Patience and faith. Patience means a steadfast endurance. That's what it means. It means to, to have that endurance and, and even in, under the midst of incredible uh, difficulty. It means that you're just hanging in there and you're standing in Christ and holding your ground and standing firm and that's what they're doing. But he also says that they're having faith there. Faith in what? Faith in their own faith? No, that's not a correct teaching in Scripture. Their faith in God. That's who they had faith in. Your faith is only as good as the object in whom it is placed. So if I have my faith in my faith, that's not going to do me any good because my faith is frail. All faith is is trust. So if I'm supposed to, in an incredible hardship and difficulty, persecution, affliction, whatever it is, God's called me to have faith in him and trust in him and have that endurance in him. And he, and he says that that uh, is difficult, and he knows that, but he says that you're facing these tribulations. We already know what persecution means, but he's, he says you're facing these tribulations that you uh, are enduring. And, and that's an interesting word. It's the word philipsis in Greek, and it, it's the word they'd use to describe, it means crushing pressure. And what they would do is when they try to get a confession, the Roman uh, military would try to get a confession out of somebody, they'd lay them on their back, and they'd put a board or something on top of their chest, and then they'd put this huge, massive rock on their chest, and every time that they would try to breathe, they would struggle under that. And the idea was that every time that they excel, uh, exhaled, it would be hard for them to get a breath in. And they would use this word philipsis to describe that. So that's the word picture. And everybody that read this in Greek knew exactly what he was talking about. So they're under this crushing pressure. Again, this is expanding beyond the persecution. This is going into other things, more a general application which hits home for us. So he says that we boast of your patience and faith. So that's what God wants. And when we're facing crushing pressure, you know, maybe we lose our job. And we're facing, you know, how do we pay the bills? Or maybe our son or daughter is sick. And we don't know what the diagnosis is going to be. And we're getting ready to bring them to the doctor. Or we have a diagnosis. 
you know, or, or uh, our, our parents have passed away and we're dealing with that. You know, we just dealt with our brother Brian going on to be with the Lord, going to be with the Lord, and, and, and just that crushing pressure. God comes in and he says, I'm called you to have faith and I called you to have patience. Now, what's important for us to know that's very helpful in those <laughs> situations is how? How in the, this kind of pressure, this kind of, this context, how am I supposed to have faith in God and how am I supposed to uh, have patience? Well, those two things are fruits of the Spirit. Those things come from God. So what God calls me to do in a, in a difficult time is to not be strong. I tell people that in crisis often. God hasn't called you to be strong. And I mean, what I mean by strong is like in your own strength to be strong. He's called you to be strong in the Lord, which means to be dependent. The key to being strong in the Lord is being dependent. All we have to do is focus on trusting him and going to him and not trying to uh, get, raise up some resources within us to be able to deal with a difficult situation, but to go to him. So often when we're going through a difficulty, we have to ask ourselves, am I getting away alone with him? Am I getting away alone with, in his word? Spending time with him, casting my cares upon him in prayer. Am I letting the rest of the body of Christ know what I'm going through? Sometimes I hear some of the things that you're going through, and I'm, why didn't you let us know? We would have been standing with you. We would have been praying for you. And we, we do that. We have the Facebook prayer page. We have prayer cards, and we have the prayer at ccmantica.com email. Uh, we have different ways that you can let us know those things. We want to know what you're going through. We're a family. And God set it up so that we could stand with one another. We've been doing that. I mean, it's just been a huge blessing to see the body of Christ rally around one another. There's a lot of people that are going through very difficult times right now. For one, our leaders. Leaders are getting pounded right now. I'm not trying to put undue focus on the leaders. I'm just saying you need to know that. The leaders are getting just going through incredible difficulty in spiritual warfare, but not just them. A lot of people in our fellowship are going through difficulty, and what we can do at at a time like that is get our eyes off the Lord, and we could stop seeing our circumstances through the eyes of his word, through the the lens of his perspective, and through the, the worldview of how he sees things. And so God wants to encourage us to have faith and have uh, patience, but that is supposed to be produced through abiding in him and resting in him, going to him, and letting him produce those things through our lives. The strongest people I know in times of crisis are the most dependent people in the, in the Lord in times of crisis. So it's important for us to see that. Now, he's going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, this... Um, tribulation and thinking that they kind of were in the tribulation and all that in chapter two. And so they are focusing on the Lord already. So we need to know that they're focusing on the Lord and the end times and all those things that they're supposed to. But uh, through this difficulty and through this hardship, they need to be a little bit uh, more redirected the right way. And so he's saying, I want you to know that as you have patience and as you have faith, even already knowing and believing God can come at any moment, uh, you need to have the patience and, and you have to have the faith that I am calling you to. Very important for us uh, to see that. Now, the fact that they were uh, suffering persecution, it reveals the reality of God's uh, judgment. Because verse 5 in the following, he's going to explain the purpose of his ways, the purpose of God's judgment, the purpose of why God allows what he allows. And that helps us when we're going through difficulty to know that. And he begins that in verse 5. 
He says, which, that's talking about persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Interesting word, manifest evidence there. God was, he wanted them to know that the purpose of why all of this was being allowed was that for, for God's righteous judgment. Now he's going to talk about the judgment on those that are persecuting them. And that's, but that's not all he's talking about. And that's what we need to see. Because we know and we believe and we understand and we agree with in many ways that, that God will have appropriate justice doled out or meted out towards uh, unbelievers, if, if not now, in the end. We know that, we don't question that. But what we do question is his judgment related to why he allows us to be on the, on the other end of that uh, persecution or difficulty. And so when you see the word judgment there in verse 5, his righteous judgment, he's not just talking about the, the, the retribution to the wicked for persecution and rejection of Christ. He's talking about his judgment in terms of his decision-making process of not just what he does related to people that are ungodly, but, but towards us. And he wants us to process that biblically. He wants us to process that correctly. So he says what you're going through is manifest evidence. In other words, it, it can't be hidden. It's clear for everyone to see. There are things in this life that everybody can see. It's just obvious. And he says the fact that, that you are going through what you're going through is an evidence of something. And it's an evidence of God. Notice the next word, righteous judgment. We can question that, can't we? When we're going through something. We can question that his judge, yeah, we has judgment. I'm not so sure that it's that it's righteous. And we can we and he wants to redirect our attention on that it is righteous. Because look at the purpose. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Counted worthy. And that we've seen that before when he says for us to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. He's talking about an equal weight. He's talking the picture is the weights, the scales. And he's that he says that we should live a life that's commensurate with what he's already provided for us, all the inheritance that he's spiritual inheritance that he has given us. So he says that what you are going through, what God is allowing, is clear, obvious, manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And the purpose is that we would live up to, we would be counting, counted worthy, or we would live in line with the kingdom of God. The life that the kingdom of God requires is a high life. It's a high standard. It has expectations. God has expectations for us being in the kingdom of God. We, we bring the kingdom of God wherever we go because we're Christians. And because we carry the kingdom of God around, there's, that life's supposed to look like something. And it's supposed to be in line with the life that the kingdom of God is worthy of. To be able to say I'm a Christian, to know that I'm a citizen of heaven, as his word tells me, is, is high expectation for us to live a life that is worthy of that. Not to get heaven, but because I already have it. That's the most important thing, to realize that I am not saved to get heaven. I mean, I am saved, I get heaven, but then I live a life in response to already having heaven. And, and that's where he says we need to see the perspective of why he's doing what he's doing. And, and if we don't see it, then we're going to have questions. 
And when we're going through a difficulty, just like these Thessalonians could have, they could have questions like, God, where are you? you, you, you you're absent in this. You're not, you're not acting. How come you're not working on my behalf? How come I don't see you? Or we can question his judgment. His, and, and that's why he makes us see that it's righteous judgment. And that question and that issue can, can, can come forth or overflow from our heart in the form of this. God, you're not being fair. So either you're absent or you're not being fair. And that's what he's trying to counteract here with these Thessalonians. Because, God, if you're, if you're all loving and you're all powerful, why is the situation here? And I believe that it wasn't by accident that he let the Thessalonians see the Apostle Paul from the very beginning and the team experience persecution so that they wouldn't question that. But he needs to still reinforce that. So he needs to reinforce that what he is doing is not by accident and it's actually for our good. You know, we always quote Romans 8, 28. He works all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose, right? But then the next verse, he defines what good is. He says that for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the definition of good in his mind. So he says, I want you to see that perspective and submit your hearts to it. It's very comforting and encouraging for us. Now, he, he says there in verse 7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So here he's given them an eternal perspective. And that's what we need when we're going through difficulty. We need God to, to broaden our vision. Because when we're going through a trial, we see what's right in front of our face. That's all we can see. And he uses the body of Christ many times to help us to see the big picture. To get our eyes up above and beyond our immediate circumstances. To be able to see the, the greater thing that he is doing and that's what he says and he says he's going to give you who are troubled he doesn't minimize the pain there notice he says troubled in verse 7 he says those who are troubled rest isn't that what we need isn't that what we long for when we're going through difficulty in a trial we want rest just give me some rest we're going to get rest we're going to get rest when we're with him when the lord jesus is revealed from heaven and this is talking about i believe his second coming and he is revealed from heaven because he is not revealed at the rapture to the world. We're caught up to be with him. And we see him and we meet him face to face. But then we're, we're brought back up to heaven for the seven-year tribulation. And then after the seven-year tribulation, then he's revealed from heaven. And he's going to be seen by all. Now he gets into the, to the judgment related to the ungodly. He's already encouraged those that are godly in his proper judgment and his righteous judgment. Now he gets to the ungodly in verse 8. He says, In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, In flaming fire. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's not good. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. And it's important for us to see that when he says vengeance here, this isn't, this isn't him flying off the handle and just like, I can't take any more and just reacting. It's not reactionary wrath. All of us have experienced that at some point, I'm sure. Reactionary wrath or reacting to something. Okay, maybe it's just me. You know, you're just, I bow down to you, you know, holy people. Maybe it's just me, the only one that have only experienced that, okay? But reactionary wrath, this, that's not what this is. First of all, he knows the future, so he's not reacting in that sense. But this is, this is calculated. 
This is, uh, you know, thinking ahead of time. This is meeting out proper justice. This is thinking what would be appropriate for this. And that's important for us to see because we get hurt by others and those that don't know Christ. And things happen to us. We lose our job by just someone that doesn't, you know, like the fact that we represent the Lord. And they, 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 they happen to, you know, eliminate our department. And there's only one in our department and no one else got eliminated, you know. And people do these things and we're so tempted to lash out and to take matters in our own hands. You know, sometimes people criticize David because some, sometimes in the Psalms they'll say, knock their teeth out, God, you know. And you're like, whoa, <laughs> easy there, partner. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, he didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to knock their teeth out. You know, he, he was being honest with his feelings, but he still knew that that was up to God. That was God's department to, to, to I can root them on, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, you know, that's something that he's being honest with his feelings. Jesus said to pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you, to turn the other cheek, to love your enemies and so forth. But this is not out of control, reactionary wrath. This is, this is uh, thought through retribution. And he says, on those who do not know God. This is God's assessment of people that are acting a certain way. Now, those people, especially these people that are persecuting the, the Thessalonians, they were Jewish, most likely. And they were thinking they were doing God a favor. And so often the things that are the most wicked things, we could think about terrorism and suicide bombers, and, you know, that they're doing it in the name of God. The Crusaders, you can go down the list. They're doing it uh, for God, but God's assessment of them is totally different, no matter what they say. No matter what comes out of their mouth regarding their relationship with God, his assessment, and I love the clarity of it, he says, who do not know God? It's all about knowing God. It's all about having a personal relationship with them. He further describes them and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting he uses the word obey here, isn't it? Because we think the gospel is related to believing, and so how could it be an obedience Thing. Now, this is one of two times in the New Testament the phrase obey the gospel is there. Peter mentions it the other time. And it's interesting that he talks about it in the context of judgment begins at the house of the Lord. And he gets into those that don't obey the gospel. But, you know, they came to the Lord Jesus, if you remember, and said, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said, believe on him who he has sent. And so it is a thing that we obey, even though it's, it's not a work. It's still something that we are, have responsibility to engage in, to obey the gospel. And, those, and he wants to make sure we see that this judgment is linked to disobedience. Did you see that? It's this vengeance and this meeting out of justice is directly linked to obedience or, or, or disobedience. And that's, we need to see that because he's going to get into the next verse a lot of de, you know, um, description regarding uh, hell and so forth. And he wants to know it's not just by accident that, that this happens to them. It's, it's a choice. Because you don't disobey when you don't have a choice, right? We don't spank our pets because, well, maybe some of us might do that at times or whatever if they disobey. In some parts of the world, in some homes, we don't, you know. Uh, but they, they don't have a, a will like we have a will. You know, and, and, and so when someone doesn't have a capacity to disobey or obey, we don't punish them. He's being, they're being punished because they're disobedient, because they didn't present the gospel. Those that were, end up in hell are those that disobeyed and had to walk right over the, the body of Christ in terms of his, you know, his sacrifice 
to, to, to get there because he's trying everything he can to prevent them from, from getting there. Hell wasn't made for, for unbelievers. It was meant for, for Satan and his, and his uh, fallen angels and so forth. So he says, they do not obey the gospel. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, there's a, you know, annihilationism, believing that there will just, they'll just be annihilated. You can't get that from Scripture. You know, Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus refers to uh, heaven and hell using the same word eternal, that the righteous will go into everlasting, uh, uh, you, know, my, you know, heaven, rather, everlasting life, and the wicked everlasting punishment. It's the same word. So there's no such thing. And, and we don't understand how that is justice. We don't. I mean, we would think no matter how bad you could ever be, it's not worth eternally being separated from God in that way. That's our human mind. But again, we've already seen that God describes his judgment as righteous. And his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. We don't see the totality of what people do. We don't see the totality of the wickedness that's represented by the rejection of Christ. And how loving it was for Christ to come, and thus how wicked it is to reject Christ. So he says, These, this is what's going to happen. And notice what makes hell hell. And he says, from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, believe, unbelievers are still recipients of God's goodness in this world, even in their unbelief. The rain, the, the, the rain falls on the, on the just and the unjust. And they receive the blessings just by the fact that Christians are here. And just by the fact that he has blessed this earth in many ways by just how beautiful the creation is. And, and just him working with people. He's, he loves the whole world. And they don't realize the benefits that they get to enjoy by being on this earth. But that's not going to be the case in hell. They're going to be separated from the, his presence in a very profound way. And the glory of his power. And it says, verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because of our testimony among you was believed. So that's encouraging. When we're going through difficulty, we're going through trials, and we don't know why God's allowing certain things to happen, he's still giving us the eternal perspective. If, those that, if there are people that are hurting us, justice will be meted out. But also his purpose in all of this is eventually to be glorified in his saints, in his holy ones there. That's what the word saints means, his holy ones. And so, and the worship to be admired among all those who believe. We're going to be worshiping for eternity. We're going to be looking to him and singing to him because all the glory is going to be going to him regarding why we're there among him and his, his people in heaven and he's going to be glorified and admired among those who believe but he gives the reason look at the end of verse 10 because our testimony among you was believed notice he doesn't say earned he doesn't say that you had to earn it he says that you had to believe the privilege of leading someone to christ this week and and for them to fully understand from their background that salvation was a gift was was so just amazing to that person when they realize it's a gift. All their life they thought, you just have to be a good, good person and be religious and so forth. And God came in with, by his revelation and said, no, it's a gift. And I said to the person, if I gave him my watch and you gave me $10 at the same time, would that still be a gift? 
I said, nope, wouldn't be a gift at all. And I said, would it be offensive to me? Would it be offensive if you gave me money when I tried to give you a gift? Absolutely. And then it just clicked in their mind. It'd be offensive to God if I tried to earn salvation, if it's a gift. I said, bingo. And, and they came to know Christ. But it's because they believe that message. That's the catalyst. That's the means by which God brings us into a personal relationship with him. And it's beautiful. And he gets all the glory. Verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God, um, that our God would count you worthy of his calling. This calling. What calling? His, his calling on our lives to go through these things. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And so he says this calling, whatever it includes, and it's not, uh, you know, it's separated from tribulation and hardship and all these things. That's part of our calling. That's the package deal that we signed up for. And he says it, it's for to fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness. That's what we're challenged with, isn't it? When we're going through difficulty that he's, he's just not good by allowing something like this in our lives. And the work of faith with power, that, there's the purpose in verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. He's not talking about the name Jesus Christ. When he wants us to wear shirts that say Jesus Christ, and that name will be glorified in us, he's talking about his character, his essence, who he is. That's what the word name means, to, 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 to walk in that, to represent him well. And he says, and you in him. That's beautiful according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's how it all happens. Because we could say, you know, how do we do this? By my own, you know, is trying harder? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, by the grace of God. That's the means by which we uh, glorify him and we walk worthy and we live worthy. And so he's working in our lives so we become holier and holier and holier in him. And going through difficulty isn't supposed to be a detour in that process. It's, still, it's part of the process. We can't miss that. And as we submit to that and as we, you know, not fight against God in that and say, you have purposes for this and you're using it to make me more like someone that's supposed to, you know, what's supposed to look like, uh, someone's supposed to look like in the kingdom of God for your glory so that you could be glorified in me and I could be glorified in all that you do through my life. Or you could be, you know what I'm saying. Let's close in prayer. Just in there. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you use these things for your purposes. We as a fellowship have gone through a lot in the last couple of weeks. You know that. And we're going through a lot now. We pray for all the people that aren't here today, that are struggling, that are going through difficulty, that are sick, that are discouraged. Encourage them, Lord. Lift their heads. Come upon them by your spirit and, and pour out your grace upon their lives. And we pray for that for those of us here that are in the same category. Lord, we have no idea what you're doing in our lives, but we know it's good. And we know that your judgment is right about what you allow. And you will give us rest someday. Help us to have eternal perspective. Encourage us as only you can. Thank you, Jesus, that you're patient with us and you produce patience and faith in our lives as we abide in you. I pray that you would encourage us, help us, Lord, in all these things as we go through these difficult things, Lord. We thank you for your grace upon our lives. Help us to rely on your grace and your power to allow you to live your life through us because we want to glorify you. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.